Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. Hello. Hello. I already said that. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you've survived the interlull. The good news is that is the last one of 2019. There will not be another interlull until 2020. So between now and March or whenever the internationals kick off again, it's going to be full on 100% Arsenal. I can't tell you if that's going to be good or bad, but you know, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in tactical disarray and creative fragility, all of those things. We're in it. We're in it. There's not much we can do about it. We're just going to have to get on board and see where this particular train takes us. Right now, we appear to be stuck in a tunnel of rel- relentless, uncompromising shit. But, you know, things can change quickly in football, and hopefully that will be the case on the pitch, maybe off the pitch. Who knows? We do have Southampton at the weekend. We'll look ahead a bit to that game uh, towards the second half of the show. But I have to tell you something, folks. This is a brand new Arscast, and this is also a brand new era. That's right. As Arsenal fans, you don't need me to tell you that Tottenham are the old enemy, the classic North London rivals, and everything that they do is loathsome and despicable on every conceivable level. I'm not being hyperbolic here. I'm not exaggerating for comedic effect. That is actually scientific fact. Look it up if you don't believe me. It's in the Scientific Journal of Science, written by Professor Godfrey Twatchlock, a well-renowned, highly esteemed professor of scientific science, no less. He did all the research, peer groups, all that stuff that you have to do to make the science properly scientific. And he came up with the conclusion that, yes, everything associated with Tottenham Hotspur is fundamentally, and on a DNA level, It's true, it's in their DNA as well, but it is just fundamentally and at its very core repugnant, repellent, and downright wretched. And over the years, we've had mountain upon mountain of evidence to support this, not just a theory, this scientific fact, as I keep saying. But it was thought that they they just couldn't be any worse than they already are. We now know, of course, that that is completely wrong because events this week have shown us that they are... They're far more base, contemptible, and heinous than we ever thought possible. Because this week they've transformed themselves from something abject and ignominious into something truly evil. And that is the appointment of Jose Mourinho as manager. It's like taking one terrible thing and combining it with another terrible thing and making something even worse. It's like Phil Collins and Maroon 5 coming together, not just to do a duet, but to form a group that will take over the airwaves and and play their shit music everywhere you go for ages and ages. There's just no escaping it. It's like Sam Allardyce and Tony Pulis 
coming together in a in a kind of gelatinous bath of hair and blubber and oil to create a a, a two foot high walrus esque offspring that of course will be the manager of Stoke at some point in the future. It's it's horrendous. It's the the stuff of nightmares. It's like going to a restaurant and being given cauliflower on top of a bowl of septic diarrhea that's come out of the arse of a manatee who drank 10 pints of Guinness the night before and stopped on the way home for a kebab. That's how bad this is. It's up to you to decide which of those last things Jose Mourinho and Tottenham are. Are they the bowl of shite or the cauliflower? Some of you might like cauliflower. If you do, substitute that for something you don't like and it still works. I hate cauliflower. Cauliflower to me is the Jose Mourinho of vegetables. It thinks it's fucking special and it's got a weird texture. And I don't like it. But this is where we are, folks. A new era of Tottenham evil. Think about what Mourinho is going to say ahead of the next North London derby. Think about him doing his cauliflower shit on the sidelines at the Emirates or even at the the cheese room. Doesn't matter which sideline he's on. He is going to be unbearable. Unbearable. Not that he's not already, but he's got a great big cock on his chest now. And that makes it ten times worse than it ever was before. So, while there's one part of me that is going, I hope he destroys that club. I hope he ruins it from the inside out, like a kind of cyst that starts as just a little red mark and then eventually grows up to be this gigantic thing that bursts and covers everybody with disgusting, gloopy stuff. That's what I hope happens there. I think we all do. But man, until we get to that point, it's going to be pretty fucking annoying with that guy back in the game. I was hoping we'd seen the last of him, to be perfectly honest. No such luck. No such luck. There's no getting rid of this fucker. He'll just be around forever and ever and ever. He will find another club at which he can do his his stuff and be his cauliflower self. And I know that, you know, it doesn't help much at the moment where, you know, we're at a time where we might like to see a new coach coming in at Arsenal and we're sticking with the one that we've got. I'm not going to say there's there's envy or whatever on, on my part. But, you know, their form has been shit and they sacked their coach. Our form has been shit and, well, here we are. Going into a weekend game against Southampton where hopefully, hopefully we can get ourselves back on track. But look, let's get on with the show. And a bit earlier in the week, after all this went down with uh, Pochettino and Mourinho and all that kind of stuff, I spoke with our good friend, Filippo Clare. And we talked about all that and about Unai Emery and about where Arsenal are going and lots more. So get your ears around this. I will be back the far side of this with a bit more waffle, a look ahead to the Southampton game, some of the team news and all that kind of crack. So now here's me and Philippe. Good 
evening to you, Andrew. Good evening to you. It is the evening, I think. I've my nose has been uh, in papers and and my eyes are it's everything's dancing in front of them, just going from website to website and social networks. Slow news day. Slow news day, of course. Nothing yeah. nothing has happened. We are recording just to put this in context on yes. on Wednesday evening. Uh, it's a it's a long, dark evening, perhaps of the soul. We don't quite know yet, but <laughs> but, but um it is. It is. Um <laughs> you know, there comes a point in my life where I think there's nothing Tottenham can do that could make me dislike them more than I than I already do, and then they somehow they manage it. Um, yeah, Jose Mourinho, the new manager of Tottenham. Um, uh, can you say that again, please? Jose Mourinho, the new manager of Tottenham Hotspur. Ah, uh, oh. lovely. I, yeah, I mean, what, what's your what's your gut feeling on this? Because um, there were a lot of people, a lot of Arsenal fans, and I saw this on my timeline. A lot of Arsenal fans were, you know, are so fed up with what's going on at this moment in time that they were fully on board with the Jose Mourinho to Arsenal thing. Now, folks, sorry to break this to you, you've got to hate him because that's the rules. He is now, <laughs> he is now the enemy. Again, and you're going to have to he get on board of that. Oh, yeah, he always was. But, I mean, um, was there any any single part of you that, despite how troubling this season has been, thought to yourself, well, maybe Mourinho would be good for Arsenal? No. No, me not neither. Single part, not, not, not a single clipping of toenail, not a, <laughs> a hair left on my pillow, not, I, I won't go further than that because yeah, we get it. Well, you know where I would be going. I I find it quite astonishing that people had such um, short memories or uh, such a, that their relationship to football has become so immediate uh, that they could think one second about Jose Mourinho being a possible manager for Arsenal. I, I, I just, I, I'm baffled. Yeah. I couldn't understand it. I mean, whatever you think about the current regime, what you think, whatever you think about the uh, the shortcomings of Unai Emery and uh, the grumpiness of everyone or, or worse, or the kind of uh, depressive state of, of so many of the fans and of the club as a whole and some of the players and maybe of most of the players uh, I mean I'm sorry it's like um, you know we, if you're that depressed call the Samaritans but don't call Jose Mourinho man it, it's ridiculous it, you, uh, how deep do you want the pit of despondency to be yes uh, it's impossible to think of a more fathomless pit of despondency than Arsenal being managed by Jose Mourinho yeah I I, I, I just could never and would never think of him as as um, an Arsenal manager, Arsenal coach, whatever it might be. No. Um, and it was really strange in a way that for three or four days, it became almost like this binary choice. It was either Emery or it was Mourinho. Which side were you on and which which was your choice? And it was like, well, you know, hang on they aren't the only two football coaches in the world you can you can want something to change at arsenal but you can want it to change and not not you know shoot your own balls off in the process yes that's that's a thought and uh i i'm, I'm i don't know if there was any substance to to the rumors i mean there was a photograph during the rounds in some arsenal circles of uh jose Mourinho attending our home game against uh, vitor de guimaraes yeah and with uh, raul sanyehi in the frame as well it wasn't raul it wasn't him 
It wasn't Raul. No, 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 no. People were putting disinformation. This is it. We're living in that kind of world. But people were putting two and two together and coming up with with five in that regard. So, you know, we can rest easy there. That's good. That's good to know. Uh, but in any case, yes, I mean, the, this binary view and also, I mean, the, the, the binary colors were, were strange here because I, I can understand on one hand you say, well, we've had enough of what's of Unai Emery and God knows there's a lot to be said about that. But the idea that uh, the Yang to Emery's Ying would be uh, Jose Mourinho is, is absurd. Mm. It's, absolutely, it's totally absurd. Um, I'm, I'm not actually sure that Mourinho himself would have been much tempted by by Arsenal Football Club uh, in his present state and with the current uh, regime and so forth and the type of squad that we have, uh, which is certainly not the type of squad that he you can imagine him doing decent work with, uh, which is another reason why I, I, I thought that this was a, a very outlandish proposition. Um, and apart from the fact that he stands against the, absolutely everything that we would hope uh, the club to stand for, and the fact that despite the fact that he's now all lovey-dovey with um, Arsene Wenger on when they do commentate <laughs> games, uh, we have to remember there is a certain – the past is not very distant past in which he said things and did things which are totally unacceptable and um, yeah. uh, deeply disrespectful to – uh, uh, one of our well, our second greatest manager for me, or perhaps our greatest manager ever, and that he's never fully apologised for. And anyway, which was he couldn't apologise for because they were premeditated, they were meant to be nasty, and they were nasty, yeah, and unforgivable, really. So, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. But anyway, he's gone to to Spurs, and I think for many Arsenal fans, and I'm here as an Arsenal fan, I, I've put my journalistic uh, uh, hat on the stand. Um, and uh, it's it's magnificent to have Mourinho at Tottenham because <laughs> I, I I must say like probably many many gooners I was torn when Pochettino was there because I enjoyed Pochettino's company I liked his sincerity I I, I was I was asking myself some very very uh, horrible questions as in maybe they're not as bad as I think they are. Yeah. That's, Things like that. That's not a nice know? a nice place to be in. I mean, what do you make of the <laughs> what do you make of the Pochettino oh, um sacking? I'll have him. Oh sorry. <laughs> okay, well that's a uh, question I'll ask you now in a minute, but it, you know, just in terms of the way things have obviously broken down um behind mm-hmm. the scenes far more Perhaps then we know uh, there was a big piece in The Athletic in which um, they got about 12 of their journalists to write one piece as they do and and come up with uh, <laughs> and come up with some background on the whole thing. Sorry, guys, but, you know, it is quite funny at times. Um, it's very funny because, to be honest, the background you should have published it two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Not now. All right, because that's too easy. Uh, I've I've heard I, I'd heard a couple of stories myself, but I didn't um, give them any credence. Uh, but what is interesting, and I was wrong, uh, but what is interesting is that I think, and I'm pretty pretty sure about that, that this is certainly not um, a panicky decision. I think this is something that has been in place for quite a long time, and I'm talking more than weeks. Uh, I think that it is something in which all the parties involved uh, have been, you know, they've actually been parties in the deal, so to speak. I can't imagine for one second that it was um, Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy deciding, oh, we've had enough, we've got to get rid of that guy, and we've got to get that other guy. No, I think it, things have been, you know, obviously weighed and uh, a long time, a long time ago. 
And um, do, do, and, you, uh, do you think yes. that, that, that perhaps the decision was in some ways forced by some of the player situations that have been going on there in terms of contracts, big players <sighs> not renewing, et cetera, et cetera, talks mm. of dressing room disharmony? Do you think as a way to try and um, mend some of those issues, they've they've come to this decision now or was it purely based on results or was it to do with how demanding Pochettino was of of Tottenham? Where do, do you we have a right to say all of the above? And, and yeah, the fact sure. that uh, there comes a moment, uh, especially in, in today's football, when uh, the relationship can can sour or become like a like, like a marriage that has gone stale and um, you still love each other but you realize that you shouldn't be together and all this sort of thing and it's complicated it's horrible all these sort of things yeah um, but I mean in, in fairness and I, I'm, I don't pretend to be some kind of seer in that but um, one of my previews of the uh, premiership season was a piece about um, uh, one season too many for Pochettino that was my my take on it yeah. and I thought I was surprised that he hadn't gone at the end of the season I thought that going to the Champions League final would be the, the moment which the club and the manager would have chosen uh, to to break up and uh, but very often you know when such things happen you think oh, okay so it's like you know the last uh, we're going to have a holiday together it's going to be you know then we'll say goodbye and they think actually oh, it was a really nice holiday why don't we stick together for a while and uh, it's always a disaster when you do that so um, I think it's a combination of all of the above. Um, I must say, I'm writing a piece right now as we speak, or I interrupted it to, to talk to you about the fact that, to me, um, not that I necessarily lament it, but I, I think their choice of replacing a team builder like, uh, like uh, Pochettino uh, by Mourinho is almost an act of vandalism, um, which is... You know, interesting, but obviously they have got their reasons for, for making that choice. Then suddenly you turn your back on what has been a very clear policy and strategy, which had been successful, um, and which had turned uh, Tottenham into, um, you know, a genuine top four team with yeah. an outside hope of even being a bit better than the top four team. So, And suddenly you turn to a man who... Uh, uh, basically, it's the burnt earth strategy, and, and you wonder what he's got to be burnt. Which is why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to to what's going to happen in the rest of the season. Because it's judging by the reactions of some of my Spurs friends, and I've got quite a few, as I'm sure you do. Uh, they're not exactly enamoured with the man. <laughs> and uh, some of them are even going as far as saying, you know, that's that. Uh, I'm not going to the games anymore. I don't want to see that man in in our dugout and so on. And which you can can understand. I'm not sure they will um, carry on uh, with their threat. Yeah. But uh, it shows that they're going to go through some interesting um, some interesting times. And I, I, when is the um, second leg of our derby against? Um, do you remember the date? Uh, I don't off the top of my head, but I can look it up for you now. In, mm -hmm. in no because there's definitely small time. one to put in our diary and with. Uh, a red tick next to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, sometime in the spring. It's in, it is in April. Yep. So it's the end of April, April 25th um, at um, the, the cheese room or whatever it is they're calling their stadium, of course. Um, <laughs> so yeah, look, it, it will definitely add a, a bit of spice to, um, yes. to, to the Derby, particularly after, you know, I think he, he, he himself was probably as responsible as anybody for those stories saying that he would be interested in the 
in the Arsenal job um, a few weeks ago. You know, I think he was clearly trying to get himself back out there and the Tottenham thing came along. I mean, it's a bit a bit, bit vulture-like, isn't it? A bit like a carrion crow sitting there waiting for the waiting for the last mm. gasps from the guy crawling along the side of the road with no food or water, um, which is kind of a bit who Unai Emery is at, at this moment in time. Um, and, but, but Unai Emery looks a bit like a vulture. Like physically? Yes, his face, you know, the, the beak. Mm, that's and true. And the feathers. Well, yeah, clearly the feathers, I'd forgotten about those. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this. In as much as we all hope that it goes the way we all hope it will go for Mourinho at Tottenham, in that there's probably going to be a bump, probably going to be a little bit of a feel-good factor, and then inevitably he will, as you say, um, scorch the earth and salt the earth so nothing may grow there again in the future. And, and you know, please God, that is that is the case. But how do you view the actions of the decision makers at Tottenham, given that Pochettino, as you said yourself, had established them as a top four team and it wasn't just one season, it was consistently. He really, really improved that club and that team and I didn't like it and I'm sure you didn't like it and most of the people listening to this didn't like it, but I think you have to acknowledge that he did a really, really good job there. Um, and 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 sort of built something that no previous manager at Tottenham had had built, not in my lifetime anyway. Yep. He hits a run of bad form, and maybe he stayed a bit too long. But this unceremonious sacking of him—how do you view it in the context of what's going on at Arsenal right now? Because when you look at the form that got Pochettino sacked. It's really not different from the form that Unai Emery is presiding over at this moment in time. A terrible end to last season for Tottenham, but they still managed to finish in front of us because we had an even worse end to to last season. Yeah, Both teams were beaten in a European final. This season, they only have three points fewer than Arsenal, and they've come to the conclusion that this is not working and it's time to make a change. In the context I of what came to that conclusion um, a while ago, right. that's the difference. Right. So how do we how do we view it then? How do we try and rationalise? I mean, is it simply the length of his tenure, the fact that he had been there for five years and maybe it was coming to its natural end, makes it easier to make that decision? Possibly, and the fact, perhaps, and again, it might uh, hurt some people's ears to to hear this, but. People who were, uh, you know, had identified him as the manager to rebuild uh, their team and their club, really, and to entrust with a particularly difficult uh, period, transition period in, in in the club's history, with them, you know, the move to Wembley and the move back to to White Hart Lane, uh, obviously meant that they had some done something right, and there are many other things that they have done right. This particular administration has gone right. And one thing you could not say, you might disagree with a lot of, um, you know, the, the policy. I mean, some Spurs fans disagree with the policy of, you know, Joe Lewis and, and Daniel Levy in particular, but uh, they do know how to run that particular ship and they've done it extremely well. And I think that in a way, when people say they acted quickly and decisively, I, I, I don't agree with that view. I, I think they acted a little bit too slowly. 
They acted decisively, yes, but a bit too slowly because I would have expected this again, I repeat myself, to happen last year. And they only scrapped into uh, the top four because uh, we actually, out of the seven games, I think we won only one. And also their European campaign uh, was admirable and very emotional and so forth, but they were um, a few seconds, well, a few minutes ago from being eliminated in group stage. They should have gone out to Manchester City and would have gone out without VAR intervening. Uh, Ajax completely collapsed in uh, in the second leg when there was no reason for them to collapse apart from their inexperience, their youth, and the fact that perhaps they were for the favourites for the first time in that competition. All these sort of things. But you still got to take advantage of that, which, you know, I have to say they did. And which is, you know, should be complimented on that. But there were so many signs, obviously, already there that the relationship had soured, that the type of uh, methods that he uses uh, are extremely uh, stringent, demand an awful lot, and they demand an awful lot from uh, a squad that hadn't been refreshed properly. Yeah. Uh, they only, you know, they... They bought two players in two seasons. Well, two and a half players because Sassignon is, um, you know, was back coming back from injury, which is uh, Dombele and Lo Celso, and they'd lost in the same time. Um, uh, Dembele, the um, the midfielder who was such an important part of their squad, but people have completely forgotten about that. But they they had failed to refresh, and this is consequence of all that. Now we are in a very different situation, and which is why I was, you know, I was telling you uh, not so cheekily actually. I would love to see what uh, Mauricio Pochettino could do at Arsenal with that particular squad, with the young players coming through. Uh, it's an unbalanced squad. We know that, but we do know what kind of game he can make his teams play, and he definitely has a way to make his teams play. is a is a very fine tactician, but he's much more than that, and uh, he certainly. Um, and I think the comparison is very cruel to Unai Emery because many of the greatest qualities of Mauricio Pochettino are precisely the qualities which Unai Emery lacks the most in terms of charisma, communication, um, decisiveness in terms of this is how I want my team to play and I'm going to make them play that way. I'm not going to try that. No. And uh, which is one of the reasons why I thought, oh, well, you know, it's not going to happen, by the way. I know some no. Arsenal fans have been dreaming, you know, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, he's not going to go to Arsenal. No, I mean, I think he said uh, as much. And, you know, he said something similar about Barcelona because he's an Espanol yes. man and he wouldn't manage Barcelona because because of his connection to Espanol. And similarly, I don't think he would manage Arsenal because of his uh, connection to Tottenham, regardless of Indeed, yes. uh, of how it's ended. Um, but, you know, you can see why people are, are looking at a coach who who did build something there and who did get a lot out of the players who were there and created something that, that really, really worked for them. So yeah. you mentioned qualities that, that Unai Emery doesn't have and, and doesn't possess. Were you in any way surprised that after an October in which Arsenal took two points from 12, that there wasn't something decisive from Arsenal? With regards to the future no. of the manager? No, not really, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to understand how we moved from a mood of relative optimism to a mood of absolute despondency within a month, two weeks of that month being weeks which had been the international break. Yeah. Well, the interlal. And I thought this is extraordinary. I've never, I, I was trying to think of a situation in which I had seen 
uh, a group of fans and supporters turn against their manager as quickly and as decisively as that because it's quite obvious that people have had enough of of him and the atmosphere um, at the Emirates has you know it's very similar to what it was at the end of last season which was honestly not very pleasant at all and the beginning of the season felt different. We thought, yeah. ah, we haven't got a defense. We might score a few goals. I think it was probably the high, the fact that we'd signed betting players or so they th- we thought they were, but, and I still think they are, uh, during the, uh, the summer market in which we'd expected nothing. So I think we were in a bit on a high. The, the first performances, you know, we had some couple of decent performances. Uh, actually, our match against Spurs was was terrific. Uh, there were some decent performances in the Europa League with a few young players, um, you know, showing a lot. I mean, Martinelli has, you know, I think many, many Arsenal fans would love to see him involved in the first team in the Premier League as well now, uh, more regularly. And as a starter, uh, Kieran Tierney confirmed all the good things that, um, you know, we'd heard about him from his time at Celtic and, and so on. So there were quite a few reasons to feel, if not completely optimistic, at least to look up to saying, ah, you know, this is not to be a great season. We're not going to, con- you know, we're not going to win the title. We know that. But we might be able to, to have fun and it's turned within a month, within a month. And and the thing is that um, I was surprised. Um, I was surprised by the, the depth of feeling. But then as games have gone on since then, I must say that I've I've reached the same point of no return. And I'm wondering, and, and you know, we, I mean, it doesn't please me to say that at all, because I don't think he's a bad manager. I don't think he's a bad guy or anything like that. But it's just not working. Mm. And um, to a point that I mean, he himself looks as if he were convinced it was not going to work anyway, which is very, um, yeah. he's, not, he's not coming out fighting, let's put it that way. No, and it, it feels like perhaps the resistance is coming from within the club itself in that there were certain things put out into the media which were perhaps not the, the greatest examples of communication um that you might you might expect from a big professional organization whatever about emery on a personal level not being a particularly great communicator um you know that's that's just one guy but some of the messages coming out of the club and the way that they were coming out and and you know we had this this you know issue with granite Xhaka and that was a big mess and then we had oh, Bamiyang being made captain and and somehow within less than a week of giving him the armband the club managed to annoy him as well uh it's not working from Emery's point of view. I think we can all see that on the pitch. It is not working tactically. It's not working on a performance level. The players mm-hmm. don't look particularly happy. We have mm-hmm. countless issues with individual players that have gone on. We have the interlull with Lucas Torreira's agent basically waving a flag going, come on, come get him. Anybody take him out of here because he doesn't like the way that he's being used by by Emery, all those kind of things. But I think what's sort of sort of slightly worrying for me as well is is the fact that the club's initial response to fans' frustration was to sort of not just downplay it, but belittle it as if as if it wasn't relevant, as if fans weren't able to see these very important and very frustrating things that were going on. Well, we come always to the same thing, which is the lack of direction, or we, you know, we still don't exactly know who's giving the direction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in fairness, because we know we have... Um, I mean, Raul Sanya, he's a, he's a football man, he's a networks man and so forth. I'm, I'm, we do not have a moral presence at the helm of the club. And um, 
When I say moral, it doesn't mean you have to be necessarily a great guy, because I would say that, for example, Pep Guardiola, whom I don't regard morally as a, a, a perfect shining example of morality, yeah. uh, is that moral presence at the top of Manchester City. He embodies something which is incredibly strong. Uh, Jürgen Klopp is also that kind of person. In some clubs, it can be uh, a, a man. Uh, it, it, the manager, but it can also be um, a player, a star player. It can be an owner, uh, a director. Uh, you could say, for example, at Leicester, it's, um, you know, the Vichai's family, which somehow, for some reason, is embodying this kind of uh, moral authority of the club. And at Arsenal, I'm looking around and I'm afraid Arsene was that moral authority. Yeah. And and since he's gone, we have been looking for somebody to um, to assume that responsibility. At, at Chelsea, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm using all sorts of words which I know are not... You know, it's difficult for people to accept that. But at Chelsea, uh, I'm afraid Frank Lampard is that. And um, that's a fact. Uh, at Sheffield United, Chris Wilder is the embodiment of what their club stands for. And it's very clear. And you might agree with it, might not agree with it. doesn't matter. There is some kind of presence, moral presence, and which gives a sense of direction, even if it is fictitious in the end, do you, even if it is illusory. We yeah. don't have it at Arsenal mm, at the moment. We do you, don't. Do you think that was part of the appointment process? In that, you know, when they appointed Emery, and obviously he's a manager who has plenty of experience and success in the Europa League and, uh, you know, did did things with Sevilla, won things in France with, with PSG, mm-hmm. um, did well at Valencia, but absolutely embodied kind of the opposite of what Arsene Wenger was in a way. So when they made that first appointment and when they restructured in that it wasn't going to be a manager anymore, they were very clear it was a head coach. Yeah. Do you think that his personality might have appealed to them in that they didn't after dealing with with Wenger or having mm. to deal with Wenger or um moving away from that person with that force of personality they went for somebody more or less without one because they figured that might be the easiest way. I think you've got a point here, and I think the temptation when things have not been going well like this for a while is to go for the so-called safe pair of hands, the technocrat. Yeah. The the, the person who knows, who has the know-how, uh, who will, you know, steady the ship and uh, use... Um, I mean, there are things in which we had been found lacking. It was clear that um, the team as well was not particularly well organized and that defensively it was a shambles that um, in a way our sense methods uh, laudable as they might have been seemed a little bit outdated or perhaps that he was not with the right environment to use them anymore because there was also you know this whole drift within the club and it had been the case over the last um, two three seasons of, of our send at the club when they had um, they were using analytics in the kind of um, North American sport kind of way they had all these they had this nerd cave in which those guys were do, using all those algorithms and trying to bring Arsenal um, into the uh, digital 21st century in terms of data analysis and so forth which Arsene by the way um, didn't like at all (laughs) surprise surprise and you think maybe they wanted to go for this kind of organization but the thing is that if if you want to use this kind of a North American model you've got to keep in mind and in North America I mean you you do have extraordinarily strong managers of those franchises I mean I've just read uh, this fantastic book uh, called Astro Ball 
which is about the transformation of the Houston Astros in baseball. Um, and I'm, I know it's a bit of a plug. I don't know the, 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 the author, but I tell you what, it's an absolutely magnificent book. But the one thing is that they use it. You understand how they use the head coach, which is the Emory figure. But they also have strategists, be it the owner or the general manager. The owner is Stan Kroenke. Mm. He's um, envoy, who is not an envoy because he's there and not there. Uh, is his son okay then we have we got the general manager in terms of somebody who is establishing the strategy for the next five to ten years you know, I, don't, I don't know I don't think so do we have a voice I mean of the club is is Emery the voice of the club and if Emery is the voice of a club it's a club that can't talk properly and 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 we you know you, you think there, there there is something missing and 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 which is why when a manager a la Pochettino, I'm not saying they're very common, but it's perhaps something that people would embrace. Now, I've got my own theory about that because there are a couple of names that I would like to suggest to you. Go on. Um, well, there's one in particular. It's um, And it's funny because he's been coaching uh, at elite level in the top five league for the past two years. He's done well, if not very well. He's, a, he's an Arsenal legend. And he's Patrick Vieira. Do you think he would be ready? Because, um, uh, you know, I look uh, at, at the league on a table. Um, mm -hmm. And look, you know, you know a lot more about what goes on in that league and uh, those clubs than me. And I see um, Nice, who are sort of low to mid table. Now, I don't mm -hmm. know if he's working in the kind of environment that allows him to thrive. I don't know what the the situation is at boardroom. Have they sold out all his best players, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. But you know, on that basic performance level, I, I, you know, I would have some concerns. But you know, I'll. I'll quite happily uh, <laughs> listen to what you tell me about what he's doing um, at Nice and, and whether you think he would be ready to make that step up to to Arsenal. I think he would be worth the, the gamble, if that is a gamble, because um, the I'm more thinking of last season uh, where they finished seventh, if I'm not mistaken. And he had inherited a team that was much, much weaker than the one that uh, Lucien Favre, who is another also a remarkably good manager, but perhaps not with the same kind of um, charisma or presence as, as Patrick has. Um, but he inherited a very, very weakened team and um, he still managed to grind some results. And the way he did that was, first of all, to ensure that they had a very solid defensive base and they conceded very, very few goals, but also... He really genuinely tried to uh, make them play as progressive football as possible in the kind of, I would say, you know, high energy and and as expensive as it could do in the circumstances. He, he had close to no money to to invest on the transfer market. Uh, OGC Nice is not one of France's greatest clubs. They've had their moments, but they're not one of them. Yeah. And I thought that what he achieved um, on the back of his short experience in, in MLS, which was also a rather successful experience at MLS. Um, I thought, yeah, I think that guy is certainly worth a punt. Why not? I mean, what do we stand to lose? Um, he's also somebody who would federate, I think, and I think you would agree with me, he would federate absolutely everybody around him. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's one of us, and genuinely is one of us. And when I see, for example, um, 
I mean, I'm not saying it's the panacea. You know, bringing uh, an old legend to a club can backfire badly. Look at what happened with Solskjaer at Manchester United. Thierry uh, Henry at Monaco. Thierry Henry at Monaco, but Thierry, I don't think, is um, uh, a cut of the cloth that you make managers with or not yet. Sure, um, yeah. I think there are personality problems and Patrick is a completely different personality from, from TT. So uh, I don't think we, we would have the same problems. Um, I also think that he would absolutely love um, the possibility of working in this club. Um, so I don't know. And I, when I look around and I hear loads of um, loads of uh, uh, of suggestions, and, and I'm thinking, well, we've got to be aware of where we are right now. We've got to be reasonable in our expectation. But what I want more than anything as a fan is I want to have some fun when I go to watch my team. I want to feel it's my team. I want to feel it's... Um, it belongs to me. It belongs to us. That somehow it chimes in with what I think is our identity, uh, our past, um, and all these sort of things. And I'm thinking, well, you know, at the moment, I'm not getting much of that. Really. Do, you, do you think it's possible for that to happen under Unai Emery? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think it's not, just too far anymore. gone. I mean, I mean, I'm, really, I'm really sad to say that because I genuinely don't, you know, I, I will not join some fans whom I've heard say really, really pretty insulting things about Emery, um, which I, I, I don't share at all. Um, the fact that he's got a funny accent, he's got a funny accent, so so what? Uh, I don't care about that. Um, but he's not got the right kind of winning personality and so on. Um, yeah, perhaps, but he's not a crap manager. He's not a rubbish manager at all. He's a very distinguished international coach and we should remember that and also we've got to remember where we are in our history we are not the arsenal of 2003-2004 we're not even the arsenal of 2005-6 or 2007-8 we are the arsenal um, which is playing in the europa league and which needs to rebuild and to have a show a little bit of humility perhaps in in our ambition well, maybe not our ambition. We should always be very ambitious, but a bit of humility when we talk about ourselves and what we expect from from ourselves. And um, this is why I'm, I'm thinking, well, why not give it a go? <laughs> well, let's let's have fun at least. You know, that's the thing. I, I hate the idea of of going to the stadium as I do. You know, every two weeks with people with long faces. It's, no, 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 no. Yeah, let's have I mean, fun, guys. Every game is a chore. And look, I think people. Um, can recognize the fact that Emery, uh, you know, is a coach of some um, experience and has success under his belt. Like you say, it isn't working. It hasn't worked at Arsenal. Um, no. He hasn't He hasn't done the things, A, that he said he was going to do, or B, that he was definitely brought in to do. Um, we recognize- if I can interrupt you, Andrew, I would say yeah. he's actually, I think he's regressed because when he yeah. arrived, we saw an immediate impact you know, this series of 22 or 23 games unbeaten, which some of it, I, I agree, were, you know, some of which could have been lost and so on. We were a bit lucky. But um, you, did, you did see a team that was doing high-intensity pressing. You saw a team that was trying things on free kicks and corner kicks that we hadn't seen for a long time. And you thought, oh, this is interesting. This, you know, could be the start of something. Let's, let's give it a go. Uh, let's see what happens. And then I've got the feeling now, I mean, it's the, such is the lack of energy of that team. I mean, basically, it's a fake lack of energy because they have got the energy. They just don't know what to do with the ball. Yeah. So they, they look around. They don't see a solution. So they pat it around four or five times and they pass it backwards. And um, or they turned around like in a handball game, you know. Mm -hmm. 
and it, nothing yeah, happens. Yeah. It wasn't like that when it started. Remember what we know, we should listen back to a, an cast of, you know, maybe like five, six games in um, the uh, last season. And this is not at all what we were talking about. We were actually quite excited. No, I agree. I agree. Um, but I think that's what, that's what, um, that's what really feeds the frustration as well, is that we could yeah. see um, little signs of progress. And now we're, you know, 18 months in and, and we're not seeing that. But I think, uh, you know, people, if they criticize you for being, um, I don't want to say anti-Emery, but because because it's not necessarily that. It's it's just you know on my part a firm belief that Arsenal need to go in a different direction now, and we need to do mm-hmm. something which is going to a save our season and b save our sanity as fans and supporters. But you know they do forget that there was a lot of goodwill towards Emery and a lot of optimism and a lot of hope about what he might bring, and 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 we were willing to look at things with our glasses half full. And yes, now, I agree with you. now our glasses are are very much half empty, and, that, and that's down to performance and and everything else. So, ju- just one final question: Do you think Arsenal are are wrong to allow him to continue in his job, given the level of performance that we're getting with the investment that we made in the summer and the widespread fan sentiment that exists at this moment in time? Could you repeat that, Andrew? I'm terribly sorry. Your train went past and a cat meowed. <laughs> well, I've, I've been drowned out by worse things in my life, let me tell you. I was, I, I was asking, you know, are Arsenal wrong to let Emery continue in his job given the performance levels and given the, the money that we invested in the summer and the widespread fan sentiment, which is, it's not just on social media. It's in the stadium, as we saw with, with Granite Xhaka and, and everything else. So... You know, is the only solution a different man? Well, um, is it is it part two of this very long ass cast that we're starting now? <laughs> uh, yes, perhaps uh, the man um, will be. Yes, uh, absolutely crucial. Which is why I was saying that you need something to jolt things up a bit. Um, which is why I suggested Patrick. I'm not saying that he's necessarily the ideal candidate. It's just a name that has been popping in my mind quite a few few times. But I think we're coming back to something we've often talked about in, in, in this podcast, which is the fact that uh, to take the decision, you've got to trust the people, who are, rather you've got to trust the people who will take the decision first and foremost. And that at the moment, you're wondering who is taking the decision and how it is taken and uh, who will have the final say is it um, Josh and Stan Kroenker I would imagine so because they're they're the owners and I'm not saying that you know somebody like like Rolf Sani he's somebody who doesn't know football quite clearly he's somebody who knows far more about football than you and I do and uh, that's not the question is that when it comes to take the decisions I can't really see somebody who gets it and I know that's a bit of a you know when I say that it's I, I, I hesitate to say it, then I say it, because I think, yes, that she's quite right. Some people get it, some people don't get it. You know, Pochettino got it at Spurs. Klopp certainly gets it at Liverpool. Um, you could say that Guardiola gets it. Like, for, for example, Kovac didn't get it at Bayern Munich. He won the double and was sacked. Mm. Um, does Inter get it at Inter? Or does Conte get it at Inter? I'm not too sure about it. Uh, and it's going well, but it will go very badly very soon, probably. And you carry on. And, yeah. and you, you, you're looking for somebody who has got this almost quasi-intuitive feel for the club and what it needs. Um, and I, I don't see that person 
at the moment within the club. And I hope I'm wrong. I seriously hope I'm wrong. But what can happen is that sometimes a manager can be the person who makes everybody thinks, think differently. And in a way, um, still kind of rekindling the relationship is rather remembering what is in relationship are the really important elements, what makes us Arsenal as, as a football club. Not the best football club in the world, but a different football club. As all football clubs are different, we have an identity. If you lose your identity, that kind of identity, you're not going to go anywhere. Uh, the only way to lose your identity uh, is um, is <laughs> you can transform it, but you shouldn't. You should never lose it. Mm. And I'm afraid at the moment it feels a little bit like that, and that we, the fans, are what is left of this identity. And that's why the noise is so. So loud at this moment in time. Okay, well, look, um, who knows where we'll be when we next speak on this podcast? Um, who knows? Who knows? Maybe we will have refound our identity under somebody else. Uh, I do hope that's the case, and hopefully we can uh, talk in more optimistic terms about Arsenal. But for now, mm -hmm. let's just hope Mourinho fucks up Tottenham good and proper. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Philippe. Thank you, Andrew. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Thank you as ever to Philippe. You can find him on Twitter at Philippe Auclair, at Philippe Auclair. This weekend, we get back to Premier League action and we are playing Southampton at home at the Emirates and three points, it goes without saying, are a must. We are in a position where every single point is vital and we can't afford to drop any more if we are to keep alive our slim, already slim hopes of of finishing in the top four. Some of the prediction models have us as low as 7% to finish in the top four after 12 games. I know there's still a long way to go, but based on previous seasons and based on our our current form and our points and goal difference and all that kind of stuff, it's uh, it's going to be tough to finish where we want to finish this season. And that's not even talking about some of the other 
the other issues that we might have about, you know, who's doing what and who's picking the team and the formation and the tactics and, and all that kind of stuff. But we really badly need three points this weekend. Team news is that Sabios, Danny Sabios, is out with a hamstring injury until mid-December. So you remember in our last game, was it the last game when he pulled the um, when he pulled the, the hamstring? I think it could have been in the Leicester game. Uh, it seems a long time ago now since we played uh, Leicester, but... Uh, no, he was out of the Leicester clash. Was it the the Europa League game with Vittoria? That's what it was. And he pulled his hamstring very clearly and then played on for a while, which I guess made it worse. It's never a smart thing to do or to be allowed to do, but he's out until mid-December. Kolasinac has come back from international duty with a hamstring strain as well. I'm not sure that's really a big problem because it's uh, about time that Kieran Tierney uh, you know, established himself at left back in in Premier League terms. Anyway, uh, there's also some doubts about Rob Holding and uh, Bakayo Saka, so we don't know if they're going to be involved. Granajaka, he's back from international duty, and Unai Emery's been talking about him and saying that he wants him to make a comeback in the team. Um, he said, "I spoke to him this morning. We had a very good conversation." And he said he is better in his mind. His mindset is better to help us and to be closer to playing when we need him. So he's going to make a decision over the next couple of days as to whether or not Xhaka will be included, A, in the squad or B, in the team for the game against Southampton on Saturday. I'm not sure that some of the comments that came out from Granit Xhaka will have really helped calm the waters a lot because speaking to the Swiss media um, on international duty, he says, I have a clear idea as to how things should proceed, and Arsenal know this as well. Although I still have a contract with them, I will be glad to return to the club so we can finally sort matters out. There will surely be a solution, as I can't accept what has happened with me. Um, it seems that the the outburst that saw him stripped of the captaincy uh, still rankles with him. And if it does, that's fair enough. I mean, look, he's every right to feel like he, um, he's he been picked on unfairly or whatever it is. You know, he, he can do that. We can disagree if we like, but it doesn't feel like he's the kind of guy who's going to back down. He's obviously very outspoken, as we know. And it just strikes me that if he was... If he was really keen to continue at Arsenal, there might be a little more, um, what's the word I want to use here, a little more give from him in terms of acknowledging his own behavior when he was taken off against Palace and, and the things that he said to supporters, which I don't think he's really addressed. If he doesn't feel sorry for them, then I guess he shouldn't apologize for them. But you you make it pretty much untenable for yourself at a football club if you behave the way you behave and you don't you don't try and extend some kind of an olive branch. So we'll wait and see whether he's going to be involved and we'll wait and see what kind of reception he gets if he is involved, whether it's from the start or whether he comes on as a sub. We do have uh, some problems in midfield with Ceballos out, of course. And then there's the Lucas Torreira situation, which has been going on over the course of the international break, where he and his agent have um, made it clear that he's not happy. He's not happy with the way he's being used by Unai Emery. He's not being played in the position he wants to be played in. He's being asked to do things that he feels probably aren't getting the best out 
out of him, and I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, there were some quotes from Torreira talking about, well, we'll see what happens when the transfer window opens. So we do have some problems going into this game, and um, when you add the fact that Socrates is talking about a lack of confidence, Rob Holding talking about a lack of confidence, how you know they need to win a game or two to get things back on track, that's, that's reasonable enough, but... It's hard to know what kind of uh, performance we're going to get. Good news, though, is that Unai Emery says he knows how to make things better. And that's good. That is good because, you know, things obviously haven't been great. But Unai Emery says that he's optimistic. He says, I know we need better performances individually and collectively. I know how we can achieve that. How do we achieve that? We need to play better, says Unai Emery. Man, why didn't we think of that a few weeks ago? I mean, he's not wrong, is he? We do, we do need to play better. And he talks about, you know, how we need to connect with our supporters at the Emirates, uh, but also not only thinking about the results. We need to play better and control the game better in 90 minutes. We're winning and drawing, but not losing at home. But really, we're not convincing people, the supporters. It's our first objective. I spoke to the players. Our success is going to be starting by being comfortable, strong, and confident at home. The way we were against, you know, Crystal Palace and Wolves. He says, we want to deserve to win each match. And how do you do that? It's very simple. By playing better. How do you play better? It's easy. You just play better. Think about playing worse and then don't do that. Literally do the opposite of playing worse. You just play better. It's not brain science or rocket surgery here, guys. So I'm looking forward to this cunning plan being put into action tomorrow at the Emirates against Southampton. And I hope that we take three points because Arsenal need the three points. That is the bottom line. Whatever else needs to happen, Arsenal need three points. The last time we won a Premier League game was on October the 6th. From that, you can draw your own conclusions, but it doesn't alter the fact that Arsenal really badly need three points. Arsenal Football Club and this team need three points against... A Southampton side that, you know, have had their problems of late. You know, 9-0 spanking, not winning a game in the Premier League since the 14th of September. It's all set up, isn't it? Perfectly. For the kind of game where we... (laughs) uh, Where we just face a team that is in the doldrums. And we do that thing. The Pulp Fiction thing. We are John Travolta... And Southampton are Uma Thurman lying on the ground, overdosing on heroin. And we get the syringe and we plunge it into Uma Thurman's heart. And Uma Thurman comes back to life. And what happens to John Travolta in the end? I can't remember because it's ages since I've seen the movie. But he probably goes and has a Royale with cheese and chokes to death on a pickle or something. I'm Pickle Rick! Anyway... Let's see what happens. Whatever happens, James and I will be here to discuss it on the Arscast Extra 
on Monday. If you would like something else to listen to in the meantime, we recorded an episode of Waffle, a podcast exclusively available for Arsblog members on Patreon, in which James and I talk about everything and anything except Arsenal. So if you fancy that and instant access to all the Patreon content and the Patreon benefits like ad-free podcasts, ad-free apps for iOS and Android and lots more, check out patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Also, if you have a chance to vote for us in the FSA Awards, we're up for Best Fan Media. You can find a link in the show notes, so do give us your vote there. We're up against some stiff competition, and all help will be gratefully and very welcomely, welcomely appreciated. Anyway, we would love it if you'd vote for us. Thanks again, as always, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. I will catch you on the next one, and catch you on Monday with James. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.